From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own business. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their business up and running. My name is Kieran, and I'll be your host for this episode. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. Let me talk to you about like grass is greener on the other side kind of thing. And then all of a sudden it's like every single bar, restaurant, pub, club, yeah. you know, bottle shop is all closed. So there goes 85% of your selling market. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Alex McDonald, co-founder of North Point Distillery. North Point Distillery is located in the North Highlands of Scotland. They produce small batch sustainable spirits that honour the heritage of Scottish distilleries and the history of the local area, the beautiful county of Caithness. You're very, very welcome. Alex, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. A little bit chilly, uh, given that I'm in the Highlands of Scotland right now, but... uh... Not too bad. It's coming into the, the final stretches of Christmas as well, which is, as a distillery, always a really busy time. So hanging on, hanging on. So, awesome. what, what kind of temperature is he talking? Oh, it's not too bad. I mean, it, we're talking maybe two or three degrees, but as okay, a Canadian, it's uh, this is still sunbathing weather for me. So, <laughs> Yeah, you guys have a pretty brutal over there. Well, Alex, I suppose, as a Canadian, how have you ended up in the North Highlands of Scotland? What's happened? Yeah, it's a bit of a journey. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. It definitely looks like I belong here with this kind of colour. Uh, Strong Scottish name there, too. Exactly right. So basically, I, I first came over to the UK, did university over here. So I went to St. Andrews for four years, did my business course there. And I kind of noticed that the UK was a very interesting market for me. I, I thought, you know, rather than go back to Canada, let's see, go on a, a bit of an adventure here. So kind of moved just outside of uh, London for a couple of years, did some work within the government trade there. And then my first kind of foray into London was the the startup scene specifically within public sector and a focus on military and defense technologies actually. And so that was my kind of proven ground uh, before eventually meeting my co-founder Struan, who was actually working at PwC in their uh, high growth uh, tech startup uh, team. And so I was actually his client for a number of companies that I worked at. Uh, So it was always kind of a bad day when I showed up in front of him with another company's badge on my chest. (laughs) <laughs> and then he wanted to move back up to North Highlands. This is his kind of stomping grounds, his uh, born and raised home and said, you know, I'm planning on this distillery. Do you fancy it? And this was tail end 2019. I thought, what an adventure. Um, I'm always up for a bit of a drink as well. So yeah. yeah, let's, let's dive in as, you know, as the name intends, take the plunge, if you will. Uh, yeah. And uh, kind of started down this journey. So yeah, that's the, mm-hmm. uh, the last decade of my life in a very short snippet, I suppose. <laughs> well, thanks for the summary. I suppose, so curious, a number of different questions jumping out there. Okay, how do you go from military or kind of growth within an accountancy firm to going, uh, yeah, distillery is the one for us, and we're going to go cracking on into that? Where where did the, the leap into, into that part of the business come from? Yeah, so I'll probably explain on Struan's behalf his side of it, which makes a slightly more logical sense than mine. Uh, Struan had his own whiskey business when he was uh, coming up through university, uh, sold that off to a number of Far East in- investors, did some 
really good work for himself. And then I think PwC took note of that, uh, invited him into their kind of distillery side of their business. So his first client was actually Diageo when he joined PwC. Struan also has a fantastic uh, repertoire of experience within public sector as well. So he kind of went from distilling all the sector to transferring and pivoting into public sector and high growth public tech technologies. And obviously that's my wheelhouse. So that's kind of where we, yeah. we basically crossed paths. Uh, and I think, you know, at that point, then Struan really realized, you know, home is, is up north. I really want to be back there near, near family and also, you know, inject some kind of entrepreneurial lifestyles and flares back into the county of Caithness. Myself really never had the idea of a distillery, if I'm being very honest. I've always mm-hmm. been interested in a bit of drink as a rugby, rugby lad, so I've always liked the the occasional booze, but uh, never thought I'd be making this stuff. As my uh, yeah. parents would say, this kind of the uh, monkey being given the machine gun here. Um, <laughs> so for me, it was it was much more along the lines of what's the next challenge? because my experience was gained very quickly. I was, I was kind of brought in as a fixer, uh, head of sales or a sales director mm-hmm. where I'd come in, I would grow companies, I would implement sales strategies. And then from there, typically I, I'd be put on roadshows where I'd go around presenting for them at AWS conferences, at the Excel, things like that. And um, would meet other companies that would be interested in my services and, and kind of go from there to there. So hence why I got uh, around a fair amount of companies in, in a relatively short amount of time. But for me, the, the next challenge was what can I do for myself? You know, uh, create some more okay. growth for myself, but stick with something for, for a fair yeah. amount of time. I've just realized that I absolutely butchered the pronunciation of Kate Ness there uh, in my uh, <laughs> introduction, just hearing you uh, say it back there. So my, my apologies. Um, what I'm fac- fascinated by um, is obviously you said to get, get up there kind of back in 2019. Um, a distillery business is pretty capital intensive in terms of, I can see obviously you list a number of different spirits there at the moment, but one of them is, is whiskey, which... Um, unless you're buying it from a barrel, it, it takes a number of years to to kind of bear fruition. So what was that kind of like capital journey in terms of getting the distillery up, up and running and getting to kind of production ready? Like talk me through that. Yeah. So for us, it was, it was quite a intensive journey of understanding. I mean, what is our, our first process? I mean, are we wanting to be a brand or a distillery? which to the uneducated, you don't really think there's a difference, but there's a massive difference. And Mm -hmm. as you said, a lot of people actually just buy product in and repackage it and get out the door. And and that is a fantastic business model because you don't have to have a building or a still or staff. So in many ways, I'm like, oh, we should have done that. But also (laughs) you'd never get any brand control. You get to never say that this is a tourist destination. You never get to look at uh, scaling your business um, because effectively it's already scaled. So you just have to be better commercially. So for me, I wanted to have a product that we, without a doubt, uh, call our own. Um, And that means we need to buy still. And as you said, put a capital plan into place. And for us, uh, that meant raising money. And we went out and did an equity raise. Uh, If I were to put it in kind of tech terms, it would probably be called a seed hybridized pre-series A. 
is probably how I would be putting it. <laughs> and Struan and I have a lot of experience in raising money. Uh, we've both done it for our respective technical companies that we've both worked for and consulted for before. Mm -hmm. But there's a distinct difference between raising money for tech and raising money for an asset-packed business. There's both yeah. more risk and less risk. Um, the more risk is this is a completely consumer-facing business and there's very little services. Um, so you really need to be quite creative with diversifying revenue streams. Mm -hmm. So really it was look at the industry as a whole, uh, understand where our different revenue streams are, understand their potential for growth within the first year, and then build that into our capital plan of what we think we can achieve revenue wise, turnover wise, and then look at what we need equipment wise to meet those targets. Yeah. Um, so for us, we had a very interesting uh, raise, which took place uh, in the first part of uh, the coronavirus. So raising during a global pandemic is always an interesting challenge. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it for people. So for us, it was, uh, we raised through SEIS uh, in the UK, yeah. but then we also raised through private investment uh, in North America. And so we were very lucky. We were able to raise a substantial amount of money. We raised about 350,000 on the first pass here with pretty minimal uh, dilution yeah. on, on the equity stake, which allows us to really scale up our business. And I think what we were able to do is give prudent evidence as to what our valuation is, um, because mm -hmm. as we all know, as beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it's all great that you think it's worth 5 million pounds, but can you convince other people it is? And then it's, it's really being able to stand by those numbers in your scaling plans of one, three, and five years. And, and with the kind of, you've secured the 350,000 awesome job during a pandemic. How did you decide to allocate those funds? Because you've alluded to, you need to think about the revenue streams because you've probably got different spirits, which take longer in some cases to distill. You've got the ability, as you said, maybe to build up a tourist factory, but you obviously need to get operations people. Like, how did you go about splitting that 358? So basically we did a, a couple different exercises. So we did a, a cash flow analysis on kind of worst case scenarios, um, yep. which is both a very good exercise, but also probably one of the most stressful ones because that's what you constantly <laughs> think about from then on yeah. is the worst case. And people go, oh, it's going really amazing. And you're like, yeah, but I know what it could have gone like. <laughs> um, so it's, dark, it's a, dark time. It, yeah, exactly. You're kind of, uh, apocalyptic societies in your brain right now. <laughs> so for me, it was, is building up a framework of understanding what our thresholds were, you know, understanding yeah. if everything went wrong, understanding if everything went right. And then understanding where the sweet spot is of what's achievable and then yeah. start putting in, I almost call it like inflammation thresholds where you mm -hmm. go plus 15 and minus 15% from optimum level. Yeah. So if you exceed your target by stretch and you, you kind of hit a plus 15% on top of what you would love to achieve in your targets, now you're looking really good to an investment standpoint. If you are beyond that point, I would also, from an investor's point of view, I would argue the fact that you do not know how to forecast ahead of time. And yeah. yet you've done really well. You've exceeded all your targets by 3000%, but it shows that you didn't know the industry that you're walking into. Alternatively, the same thing on, on the negative side. So for me, it, it really came about people, plant, assets, building, and then ultimately product development and outflow. And mm -hmm. in each of those tranches, it's, they have their own expense line, but a lot of expenses carry over across the entire kind of gamut of that expenditure to the business. Mm, absolutely. And 
where there are a couple like on the kind of revenue side of things where there are a couple of kind of milestones where you kind of set certain targets to get up and running from a revenue perspective earlier than others or how are you managing that kind of cash flow analysis so for us we all our business plan was was built before covid so like let me talk to you about like grass is greener on the other side kind of thing and then all of a sudden it's like every single bar restaurant pub club yeah you know bottle shop is all closed so there goes 85 percent of your selling market and yeah. so very quickly the business plan had to take a you know an indescribable pivot is what i would call it <laughs> and it was okay how do we where do we get the revenue here where do we do the yeah. launch how do we do this because we we already also got pushed back supply chain wise in the delivery of law of our plant so yeah uh, for us it, it turned into online how do we focus online in the first several months that we get some revenue injection in now when I say we had worst case scenario planned out, we never got close to it, but we were like, if trends keep going, we might have to start putting in plan B kind of uh, contingencies. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was a, okay, get the online launch, get the initial revenue stake in, understand where we are at, uh, and then put product out to market before Christmas and take advantage of that short window that we had of lockdown easing right before Christmas, before it went into full lockdown again after. Yeah. So rinse what you can in the on-trade, off-trade, everything. Get as many bottles as you can out in that time. So basically, we did a pre-sales launch in October for online. And then we ran online sales for October, November, December. And then in December, we basically did a big trade push and relied on friends and family uh, basically within the area. It was mm -hmm. a, you know, if you want to be a, an ally to the brand, we'd love to talk to you and yeah. we would love to, to have a working partnership with yourself. So you get first stock of us and you'll be a chosen supplier within this area for years to come. And yeah. that's how we kind of were able to pull ourselves out and get that revenue injection. But make no mistake, the, the lockdown you know, being able to forecast that is almost impossible right now. Yeah, of course. And then just on the kind of online side of things, how did you find that? Because obviously you're a brand new brand, new distillery, trying to get your name out there. Uh, B2C is incredibly noisy. You've got a lot of competing efforts, whether that's SEO, paid search, anything like that. How did you go about it? And what did you find kind of work for you? Or, or where would you, where did you struggle? Yeah, so I, I always view online as a bit of a, a multi-headed beast. You know, you mm -hmm. can't you can't just tackle one of the heads because the rest of them will come around and bite you. So no. for me, it was SEO, website optimization, social media, and then overall brand structuring and brand mm -hmm. proposition. So for really the first part is you know keep the brand proposition very clean. Who are we? We're the most northern rum distillery in mainland uk okay that's a usp by itself mm -hmm. we have uh an integral sustainability methodology to our distillery which makes us already one of the most sustainable distilleries in the uk fantastic that's another usp there and third we're brand new which in itself is a usp and you have to ride that out while you yeah. have it because you're only new for so long and then you're you're old news so yeah. you know ride that wave when you when you have it so then that fed into that kind of SEO first, because if people can't find you, they're not going to buy from you. Mm -hmm. Your social media 
had to be run at a very specific demographic. Who are we targeting? Why are we targeting? And, and making sure our ads on social media was targeted to mm-hmm. the buying demographic that we thought we could hit the most. And we had to learn a lot because, you know, sometimes I was like, wow, this month was dominated by women over 60 buying gin. How did you get to that? Like, did you have uh, an idea before you started that this particular spirit or this product is going to match this type of demographic or was it like learn as you go? So we did the initial kind of spirit industry analysis and we did a huge amount of analysis on it. Uh, But what I would say to everyone, uh, regardless of industry, whether it be B2C or B2B, and going for demographic analysis and online purchasing, I would say you need to be a lot more holistic than you were in the past because how people buy things now in the last two years has fundamentally changed. Mm. Um, So if you're a tech startup, that's all well and good, but understand people are working from home now. So how do you even target them at home? What, what kind of advertisement do you have to do? Because even the language that you use probably has to be a lot more colloquial. It can't be as business formal. And I think people need to start uh, understanding that startups that want to be successful in that online space, you need to do a lot more of holistic marketing, which requires actually a lot more feedback from your customer than actually mm-hmm. kind of just going and testing and testing and testing. Because I think you can just waste a ton of money if I'm being really honest doing that right now. No, that's good advice. And in terms of you guys as a, as a business and uh, you two as founders splitting the roles, like at what point did you start to bring in other resources and, and kind of what did you get them to do within the business? Yeah, so for us, it was, I, I think Strew and I are, are a pretty good team because he's got very much a financial background with a, a focus on governance and operations, whereas I have a sales, marketing, and business development background. So basically, you have two fundamentally different people that I would never want to do a spreadsheet, and he doesn't really want to go talk to a marketing or advertising agency. So we get to kind of respect each other's differences on that, yeah. which I think too many times people go, well, I, I love to find a founder that thinks exactly like me or, or knows sales really well, just like I do. And I'm like, okay, well, now you have two sales guys, but let's be honest, salespeople are never very good at doing the accounting. So, you know, it's, it's finding a balance. And then for us, it was bringing in um, respected experience that was young in the industry. I mean, Stu mm-hmm. and I are young. We wanted to hire young team members that kept that kind of dynamic, agile approach uh, that we wanted to implement for a distillery. So our first hire was Laura McKenzie, who's our head of marketing, who worked with a distillery uh, very close to us, done a Bay Distillery of Rock Rose Gin, and she was their first employee. So she knows how to take a distillery from very, very small and make it internationally recognized. So I said, fantastic. So you're coming over to us. <laughs> and then we got uh, our distiller, Greg Benson, who did a fantastic amount of work for us on kind of a, a friendly basis, basically just did it for free out of the mm-hmm. kindness of his heart uh, when we were launching. And he's formerly of the kind of brew dog and then went over to Bacardi as well. So once again, another industry professional that was young, creative and, and had a real thirst and hunger for this. Um, And then for us, one of the things that I would be remiss to not mention is a fantastic advisory board and a fantastic board of directors, all of which, you know, whether it be NASDAQ 500 experience or running, you know, company or countrywide uh, distribution for Glenfiddich, things like that, it allowed us to to not necessarily rely on them for, uh, you know, that specific moment experience, but it was 
where do I take what I'm doing right now that I'm confident in and where do I take it in the next 10 steps? Because I can see the present absolutely fine, but it's when I look to the future that it's a little bit opaque. Gotcha. And just touching on then in terms of past 2020, when the country started opening up back again, and you mentioned you brought Lauren in with the distillery experience, how did you start to evolve the business outside of online and, and look at things like tours and distillery going back to entree again? Like what kind of started to happen there? So for us, it was do as much as we can for ourselves by ourselves, you know, control what we can because, you know, it could be next month. We've signed up three distributors. Great. But, you know, everything comes crashing down again. We're not any further forward. So it was start all of our trade uh, by ourselves. Um, and go out and do the, the hard graft, go get the customers and make it basically possible that an agent or distributor has to take us because we have so many customers in their area that it, you know, it just makes sense. Okay. We'll pick you up. Um, mm. So we followed that model while also, as you said, kind of diversifying our revenue streams. So for us, that was really, really important. And it came in the form of our onsite shop, came in the form of tours, came in the form of cask selling. It uh, came in the form of even cash brokering for other people's liquids. It came in the form of our own project distilling for people that want to spin up their own brands and didn't want to be idiots like us and start their own distillery. Um, <laughs> so we started really building out this portfolio of diversified revenue, which meant that if we ever had a bad month of COVID or anything like that, mm. we can now go back to the well of four or five different revenue streams that is not awesome. dependent on our on trade or off trade being open so that that gave us a lot of business resilience is what i would say don't get me wrong i make it sound all romantic it was horrible doing it absolutely horrible <laughs> doing it but it's paid off dividends for us and then so kind of what does that look like for today then in terms of setting you up for the future are you kind of pursuing the track that you wanted to do in terms of expanding the distillery the products and have the financing there to go and do it or are you going to go and seek more financing to do it on a bigger scale and where are you guys at there yeah, so in terms of our growth plan, the I think Stuart and I were not naive, but um, I think we were very, we're always quite conservative. You know, we want to grow, we mm -hmm. want to be aggressive, but we, we always say, let's start with this and, and max that out. So, I mean, by late summer, we've, we filled our distillery. It, it, it was, we couldn't fit another cask into our production hall. And so we are now going through our expansion plan, uh, which will triple our uh, square footage. We've added on uh, additional licensing, which is fantastic in our capability, but also we are making a, a quite a large capital play on further plant assets and headcount. So we're mm -hmm. hopefully doubling headcount within the next six months. Uh, we are going to quadruple our uh, distilling output, uh, and we also are going to basically do a 10 times factor for cask storage uh with our additional square footage so uh Amazing. definitely in the next but basically between now and april so uh, hence why i probably look slightly drained um <laughs> we are we are going out for another race but for us we are going to try and do what i would refer to as the golden goose race and do it more on a debt financing basis yeah well you got plenty of assets in there so you've got plenty to work with hopefully yeah fingers crossed that is so nice that's an amazing amazing story and, and some some amazing growth coming up for you guys i suppose in in the short time that you've kind of gotten from a to b i said so to speak what are the, some of the kind of key learning points you you picked up along the way for me it was 
everybody's going to wear a different hat throughout the day. And I, I already knew this coming from other startups, but, you know, implementing that with your team earlier on means that uh, you're not going to have fights later on of the, that's not my job, which is, is always a difficult one because contractually, unless you've written it in, they are technically correct. So yeah. you need to definitely have a think of, do I have enough headcount? Can I do this? The next is, I would say, lay a conservative foundation with aggressive growth plans. And so if you have conservative ex expectations, but you're going to be aggressive about them, then I always think you're going to be able to grow. If you have aggressive growth plans, you have very little wiggle room to actually you know, supersede those kind of expectations, that kind of age old salesman, you know, under promise over deliver kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And then I, I really think, you know, looking to business resiliency, where can you get money? Where are other people getting money from? And can you tap into that? And is it right for you? Do you have the capability? And in many ways, take the risk on it if it takes minimal amount of time and if the ROI makes sense. So project distilling for us takes a considerable amount of time but the ROI is, is really quite positive for us. And it only just increases our exposure. But whatever you're doing within those kind of revenue streams that other people are capitalizing on, mm -hmm. differentiate yourself. It can be, you know, you have a, a different way of putting liquid into a bottle or however you want to dress it up. Uh, if yeah. you want to turn it into a 360 degree turnkey service, however you want to uh, appease to the market, but make it different just subtly from the players around you. And I think you'll always be able to, to kind of cash in on it. Jesus, some amazing nuggets in there, Alex. Um, thanks so much for, for kind of going through the full Northpoint uh, story. Amazing story as well, coming from uh, the government side, coming from PwC, but obviously a lot of uh, heritage in, in, in from what you guys do, given your, your co-founders background. I just want to say a massive thanks for all the knowledge you've just imparted. And I think anyone listening is going to get a huge amount out of that. Um, and obviously wish you guys all the best with North Point. Uh, sounds like you've got a very, very exciting future. Fingers crossed. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Really appreciate it.